All right, we are in Genesis 13, and we're now looking at Abram. Somebody once told me that anxiety, anxiety is thinking about the future and freaking out about it, right? That's anxiety. How many of y'all, you don't have to show your hands, how many of y'all have been anxious this week? You've thought about the future, and you've been freaking out about it. I did it on the way to church this morning. That's how bad of a pastor I am, right? I mean, like the preacher who's preaching about faith over anxiety was driving to church, thinking about the future and freaking out. It usually revolves around my children and the evil people out there, right? Because they're perfect. Other people are not, right? Uh, Or it revolves around money, right? A lot of times money is the source of our anxiety, Or a lot of times, what is the will of God? I don't know what the will of God is. And we start getting anxious. I don't know where he wants me to go in the future. And we start freaking out about it. That is anxiety. Abram is just like us. He struggled with that too. This famous person in the Bible struggled with anxiety, thinking about the future and freaking out about it and operating out of anxiety. We saw last week that that's exactly what happened. Last week, a famine came. He, he thought he was in God's place for his life. He was in the promised land. He was in the ministry he thought he was supposed to be in. And a famine comes. And as a result of that famine, he got anxious. The problem with anxiety, when we begin to live in anxiety, we think about the future, freak out about it. It often leads to bondage in one way or the other. It usually leads, in fact, it always leads to Bad decisions, bad attitudes, wilderness attitudes. Last week, Abram absolutely failed. He went down into Egypt. He went down into bondage because of the anxiety. But this week, he's going to replace anxiety with faith. How many of y'all want to replace anxiety with faith? How many of you men want to be men of faith? How many of you women want to live by faith and not by fear? Live by what God reveals, not what you see. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 goes on to say about Abraham that he was a man of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's faith. Faith is believing in things you can't see. And what are those things that you can't see? The promises of God. Somebody once said that faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how you feel. That's faith. To live by faith says I don't evaluate my life by my circumstances, by famines, by deserts or wildernesses or, or, or whatever's happening. I define my life on the word of God and what God has revealed. That is to be a person of faith. If God says that this is the way to go, I'm going to go that way because he's promised that it's the right way and that at the end of that, there's a good result. 
Last week, Abraham did not live by faith. This week, he does live by faith. And what we want to do is replace our anxiety with faith. And so you say, well, what's that look like? What's it look like to believe in the word of God and act on it no matter how I feel? Well, it looks like Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2. And here Abram begins to really walk by faith and be a man of faith. We're just like Abram. If Abram can walk by faith in grace, then we can too. And it says here in Genesis 13 verse 2, it says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. This is a great geographical description of Abram's repentance. Remember, he went down into Egypt, he was in bondage, and now he's returning back up to the promised land. He's literally retracing his, his steps. He's returning to where God had him at first, to that altar. And we ask ourselves, well, how can, I, how can I return? How can I get back? And the way you get back is because God intervenes by grace. The reason why Abram was delivered from bondage is because Abram belonged to God and God made a promise to him, an unconditional promise. He said, I'm going to bless you. He said, I'm going to give you a land and a people, and you're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That was a promise God made, and God was going to keep that promise no matter what stupid decisions Abram did. God is a stronghold in our life. If you belong to Jesus Christ, he will never let you go. You can never lose that. You might go down into bondage. You might choose to go outside of the boundaries. You might choose, you know, uh, bad things that are going to lead to bad things for your life. But ultimately, God's going to keep bringing you back. He's going to keep drawing you back. And sometimes, by the way, it's not comfortable. Like it's disease in the Pharaoh's household. Like it's stuff going on and chaos all around you. Remember Jonah in that ship? Remember when Jonah, God's like, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach repentance. Remember what Jonah did? He left. He, he totally went in the opposite direction. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And remember, he was on that ship and a storm came because God wasn't going to let go of his man. If you belong to God and Jesus Christ, he will never let you go. He is the stronghold in your life. And sometimes you'll have a loose grip, but he will be the stronghold. He will never let you go. But let me tell you something. You don't want to run from him because it hurts when he squeezes harder and harder and harder to get you back up. He pulls Abram back to this altar, and he leads to repentance. And you say, what does a life of faith in believing in the promises of God look like? It looks like repentance. It looks like restoration. It looks like renewal. It looks like coming back to the original place of worship and coming to the altar and confessing sin and repenting of sin. That is what Abram's doing. You see, verse 4, it says, To the place where he had made an altar at first, Abram had made two altars. One altar he made at a place called Shechem in chapter 12. The other place was between Bethel and Ai, where he, in a roundabout way, declared that he believed that that the promised land belonged to him. 
It's that second altar he goes to. So I find it interesting that Abram doesn't go to the altar where God appeared to him. Abram goes to the altar where he confessed that he believed that the promised land belonged to him. And that is a life of faith. You're like, I want to be a person of faith. Well, here, don't look for experiences. Don't look for the reappearance of the Lord. Don't try to recapitulate some religious phenomenon that happened to you 10 years ago. Here's how you live by faith. You go to the altar and you say, I don't care what I feel. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the religious experience is. It is here. I'm going to bow to you, God. I'm recommitting. I'm renewing my faith and the obedience of my faith to you. I'm going to believe in your promises even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to believe what you say even if you never appear to me again. Even if the church can never be as good as it once was back in that day, I'm still going to believe and walk according to what you revealed to me. I'm going to follow you, God. I'm coming to this altar. It's an altar of commitment. That's what this altar is for Abram. That's what you and I have to do. Sometimes you got to say, I don't care if Josh never preaches a good sermon ever again, God. I will believe in you. I will follow you. By faith, not by feelings, not by experiences, not by uh, some special revival. Abram is just saying, you know what? I choose to believe today. Genesis 13, verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at, the t- at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You might remember who is Lot. Lot is the nephew of Abram. Lot is the one whose father died when he was young. And so Abram kind of, in a roundabout way, kind of adopted Lot and took care of him. And when Abram got called out of paganism and idolatry and and worshiping other gods, uh, he took Lot with him into the promised land. The problem is is that when they came back up out of Egypt, they were richer than ever before. They had more material possessions than they've ever had before. Make a note of this. Material possessions does not always add up to blessing. And we have to say that frequently in our culture because there's a lot of preachers, a lot of dadgum apostate, dumb, demonic preachers. Who say that blessings is material prosperity. Material bl- prosperity doesn't always mean blessing. In fact, it creates more of a problem for Abram than it does a blessing. He comes up out. He's got so much livestock that him and Lot have all these servants and they've only got so much land. And the real problem is that there's not enough watering holes for all the cattle in the herd. So it's kind of like they come up with all of these flat screen TVs, but there's not enough outlets to plug them in at. You know what I'm saying? It's like they've got all these, all these new Hummers and Escalades, but there's not enough gas stations to fill them up with gas. So they're just sitting there in the parking lot and I can't even drive them. Well, you can imagine how frustrated you'd be 
If you had a whole parking lot full of great cars and no gas stations, and your uncle and his people are taking all the gas, and you go, man, you got to give me some gas. i got a ride in my ride. You know what I'm saying, yo? i got to flow up with this flat screen with some serious high definition, and you're not giving me the cable cord. You see, that's what was happening. There wasn't enough water holes, and you got the Canaanites and the Perizzites to add to the problem. Now, the Perizzites, I'm always tempted to say Perizzites, aren't you? The, the, the Perizzites are just basically not an ethnic group, but they're a type of Canaanites. See, there was Canaanites, and they lived in the walled city, but if you misbehaved as a Canaanite, then you became a parasite, and you got kicked out of the wall cities, and you became nomads and Bedouins. So here are these gangsters, all right, basically gangster Canaanite going out, and they're low hopping, and they're stealing water holes, and they're rolling, and they're escalating. They're like, you better back up, yo, before I gank you with my, you know, gun. Dude, material blessing, all this stuff we accumulate creates more problems than it does good. It creates, as the text says, strife. How much strife is there in America over money and over stuff? And we got storage spaces and we got everything. It's not even that bad here. In Oklahoma, this preached really good. I mean, you got basically all these furniture stores and storage stores to keep the extra couches in. And Oklahomans are really bad. Y'all are good. So we're, we're going to move on. But, but here's the real biblical theological point here. Abram's being tested in the same area he was tested with the famine. The, the land is not supporting him. See that? The land isn't working out for him. God says, Abram, this is your place. I'm putting you, this is your promised land, famine. He's like, you know, parts lift, stomach goes in, you know, no food to eat, that kind of deal, famine. And so he chooses anxiety and says, I'm freaking out. And he goes down to Egypt. Now the land is not supporting him because there's not enough outlets, not enough water holes, not enough gas. What's he going to do? It's the same test. Beloved, make a note of this. When you don't pass the test the first time, God's just going to bring it right back around to you again. Same test in a different way until you pass the test of faith. The land still it. So will Abram choose anxiety again like he did with the famine? Or will he choose faith? And it's clear he chooses faith, not anxiety, when the land isn't working out for him and Lot. Look at verse 8. Genesis 13, verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. I love that phrase. For we were family. We can't have strife over this. I don't care about my Escalade anymore. We're family, man. Verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
Now, this is the very opposite thing he did last week. Remember, last week, famine comes, and he says to his wife, Now, listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pretend like you're just my sister and not my wife, and then the Pharaoh's going to think you're hot and fine, and then you're going to go, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like this whole, like, uses his family to save his own hide and his own skin. He manipulates and plots and schemes. Now he looks at his family, and he says, You know what? If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. doesn't matter. And you say, how was he able to do that? Because he's finally come to a place where he says, if God says he will provide for me land, then I will be okay. If God says that I will be blessed in this land, then I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to believe this circumstance. I don't, have to, I don't have to take land. I can just receive whatever God has for me. If Lot goes left, that must mean that God wants me to go right. If Lot goes right, well, that must mean that God wants me to go left. It doesn't matter. God promised he would provide. God promised he would be there for me. So I don't have to take my life with a tight grip. I can have a loose grip, open up my hands, and receive whatever it is that God gives me, you see. And what happens when we live by faith and not by anxiety is relationships go very good because we're able to defer to other people. We don't need other people to perform for us. We don't need other people to, like, give us something special. We don't need other people in our lives to kind of be God or idols to us. We can just look at, look at them and say, how can I serve you? How can I defer to you? Because I don't need anything from you because God's going to take care of me. So I can just serve you. Lot, you're my nephew. I love you. Let's not fight. Take what you want. I'll go the other way. It's all good. Abram is a peacemaker because Abram is walking by faith and not by anxiety. But Lot, what's Lot going to do? Lot always in Genesis is a foil to Abram. Lot's unbelief is a foil to Abram's belief. Lot is a mirror opposite in contrast to Abram. There are three narratives with Lot. This is the first of them. The last of them will be Sodom and Gomorrah, which, man, that's going to be a stemwinder. Invite a friend. But anyways, (laughs) Lot always is the guy you don't want to be, whereas Abram in the Lot narratives is the guy you want to be like, see? And Lot is described perfectly and summed up perfectly in verse 10. Let's look at Lot. Genesis 13, 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now this is interesting. Note the verbs here in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes. Lot saw the Jordan Valley. Lot 
chose for himself, and Lot journeyed east. These verbs remind us of original sin. In fact, in, uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, or pardon me, uh, do I have it on here? I don't have it on here. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we see that Lot is recapitulating original sin with his eyes, see? With his eyes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This is exactly the kind of language that's used for Lot. He lifts up his eyes. He sees the Jordan uh, uh, Valley was well watered. In fact, it even says, and it uses the language of the Garden of Eden, that it was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. Lot is a man who lives by sight. Lot is a man who lives by images. Lot is a man who doesn't live by substance or by word or what God has revealed. Lot lives by his eyes and creates a whole worldview for himself based on what he sees. Now, we'll talk a lot about Lot when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, but here's what I want you to know today for our purposes. Lot was a good man. We're going to find out Lot is a moral man. Lot's a religious man. Lot is a wealthy, good provider for his family. Lot has a lot of things going for him. But you see, Lot did it all without believing in God. Lot did it all by sight. Lot is the ultimate example of somebody who's a moral person, but he compromises on essential things, and ultimately it leads him to insecurity. Ultimately, it leads him down to Sodom because you see, Lot is the guy who stands up there and says, man, it looks down good down there. I can go make a good living down there. That looks really fantastic, that valley down there. I know that God said to Abram, like, this is the land and all, but that land looks a little bit better than this land. And Lot ultimately shows that he's selfish. Lot should have deferred to Abram. Lot should have said, you're the one that brought me here. You're the one that's taken care of me. My dad died. You were there for me. You took me under your wing. You accepted me into your family. You brought me with you when God called you. You're the patriarch. You're the man of this tribe. And you're asking me to pay. I don't want to pay. I want you to pay. It's your call. But he doesn't do that. You can almost sense underneath this text. It doesn't say it. So just put this in parentheses. But you can almost sense he's thinking, Man, I am so much smarter than my uncle. I can see things he can't. Lot walks by sight and not by faith. And how many of us are good moral people? We go to church, we talk about the garden of the Lord. We know about Eden. But we walk way more by sight than we do based on faith. We walk way more based on feelings than we do by the word of God. We base our sexuality. We base our power. We base our view of money. We base our view of politics. We base our whole view of marriage. 
what a man's role is, what a woman's role is. We base all of that stuff on sight, on feelings, on culture, on everything but the Word of God. We don't live by faith. We don't believe in the promises of God. We don't believe that what God reveals is true. And thus we sin. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, which is my point. Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Ultimately, people that walk by sight, though, don't believe those kind of things, do they? Ultimately, people that walk by sight and not by faith, they don't have courage. They're mostly cowards in their relationships and in the decisions that they make. And most people that walk by sight and not by faith don't really believe that there's ever going to be a judgment. Now, even in a church this small, we have two services. We rarely get over 120, 130 people. Sometimes now we get, you know, a little bit more than that. We got maybe, I don't know. 30, 40 children in our church. But even in a church this small, I know by a long time as a pastor in experience that most of us, myself included, have way too much arrogance in our hearts. We're presumptuous. We think we can create our lifestyle like we want. We think we can do whatever we want and still think that Jesus just is fine with that. And we walk by sight, not by faith. We don't believe in the word of God and act on it. That's Lot. And you know what happens to Lot? He goes down to that beautiful city and he gets more rich. He gets more wealthy. He gets a family down there. He gets a nice pad. He gets a nice penthouse and an apartment, you know, with the suite. You know what I'm saying? He's got all the stuff, you know what I mean? And he nearly gets nuked. And he loses his family and his wife and his family to godlessness. He never becomes godless. I mean, the New Testament says he becomes a righteous man and, and, he, and he's consumed by, by this world that's bothering him so bad. But he continues to go to work every day and do his business. He continues to make all his money and he loses his family. He loses his wife and he loses his daughters. He loses everything and he ends up alone because he walks by sight. And not by faith. Don't do it. Let God restore your soul. Let God bring you back to the altar. Let God bring you back to the land. Repent. Turn around. Seek forgiveness and cleansing and purity. Seek the love of Christ which changes our hearts. Seek God again. Leave your sin. Leave the bondage of this culture. Leave all of these ideas that are so anti-God. Leave sight. And embrace faith. Hmm. Abram doesn't live by sight anymore. He lives by faith. And so as a result of that, look at verse 14. Let me wrap this up. Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Love that. Lift up your eyes and look 
from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. I love the fact that the chapter ends with an altar to the Lord. And the chapter began with an altar to the Lord. But I love, love, love that God says to Abram, lift up your eyes and look. Love that. You say, didn't you just say we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight? Walk by faith, not by feelings. Walk by faith and, and not by anxiety. What, what's up with this? Now God's saying to Abram, lift up your eyes and look. But if you note the promise that God gives to Abram here, it's a promise that's yet future. He's asking him to imagine, to look up at the land that's dry and, you know, and tumbleweed and everything like that. And he's like, look up and check it out because right here is where I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to create descendants and offspring that are more numerous than the sand of the earth and the dust of the earth. In the Hebrew, there's a little word that doesn't go translated in most of our English translations, which is really depressing to me. I don't know why the committees refuse to put this in there. There's a little itty-bitty Hebrew word that means please. Literally, God says to Abram, please lift up your eyes and look. Only four times does God ask a person, please look or please do something. And three times, Abram's the one that's, that's addressed by God. God's saying to Abram, what I need you to do is see something that's beyond human comprehension. What I need you to do is believe in something that's so much bigger than yourself, that goes way beyond. I need you to see a people, a nation. I need you to see Families of the earth, I need you to see the church. I need you to see that through you, a Messiah is going to come, and that by his blood and in his resurrection, he will purchase for me a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, and those people will be considered your offspring. Those people. Literally, Abram is asked to imagine you and me. We're a part of this promise. We're a part of the offspring and the descendants of Abram. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, this is a very complex, very difficult chapter, but he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations 
in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In other words, Paul is saying Abraham believed that he would have offspring of many nations. That's you. That's me. You say, well, what's the application for me there? Well, the application is this, is that your life is way bigger than you think it is. That God's calling in your life is going to do way more than you'll even ever know. You won't even know until you get into eternity. All of the fruit that's going to be produced when you walk by faith and not by sight. All of the things God is asking us to imagine what is beyond human comprehension. That he is going to use you to be a blessing to so many people that you won't even realize. When you walk by faith. Ultimately though. Abram is a type of Christ. He's like a great picture of Jesus. Before Jesus came. God is saying because you humbled yourself. Because you considered others more important than yourself. Because you deferred to Lot. And trusted me to provide what you needed. I'm going to give you everything and everyone. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus in this way and applies it to us in these ways. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's exactly what Abram did with Lot. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Abram shows us this great picture. God is saying, you've humbled yourself, lift up your eyes. I'm going to give you so many people who are going to belong to you. This is a great thing because Jesus, in purchasing us, considered us more important than himself. He, he became obedient. He went to the cross. He died for us. He rose again so that we could confess his name with our mouth. And everybody who doesn't confess now will ultimately confess that he is the Lord over heaven and earth. He has authority over everything, secular life, religious life, spiritual life. Jesus is the ruler do you believe in Jesus because that is the promise to start your life of faith that's where you say I'm going to live by faith and not by sight I'm going to say the most important thing in my life is something I can't see in fact somebody I can't even see it is Jesus and I am his man and I am his woman and I will follow him with the rest of my life by faith and not by sight I will not judge my spiritual life on my circumstances. I will not judge it on whether I have a lot of things or very little things. I won't judge my life on mansions or shacks. I will base my life on a confession that Jesus died for me and rose again. 
Jesus was my Abram. I was his Lord. Jesus said to me, I will defer to you. I will come and serve you. I will humble myself to save you. You want to know how you can know God? You want to know how you can get connected to God? You believe in Jesus and what he did, not what you do. So stop working for God. Stop trying to earn God. Stop trying to perform for God. Stop seeking experiences with God and believe by faith, not by feelings, not by anxiety, not by sight. Believe Jesus is the word of God. Jesus died for me.